We've waited four long years since Ireland crashed out against Argentina. Our in- injury-ridden squad, barely able to stand up. More players that we recognised in the stands than on the pitch. We went out gallantly against Argentina. Four years later, and just five days left to go until redemption. Until Ireland versus Scotland in Japan. Very welcome to World and Union Bosley's weekly rugby show. Mick McCarthy along with Morris Brosnan here. Morris, we've been waiting so long for this. No, nothing has mattered in between Grand Slams, Champions Cups, Six Nations, beating New Zealand twice. What has it all mattered? Ultimately, the last game of rugby we really played was when Ireland lost to Argentina in the World Cup quarterfinal. That intro nearly deserves a round of applause. Um, Does it? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm ver- uh, <laughs> yeah, obviously the big one. I'm very excited anyway. Um, kind of like it's a it's such a weird time of the year. I don't know about you, but just for the general sports fan, like it just feels like everything's coming nearly too quick. Like the wheel literally does not stop turning. You're yeah. walking out of genuinely walking out of Hope Park, talking to a family member of mine about how the World Cup is going to go. Like yeah. <laughs> it just does not stop. And all Ireland replay really kind of uh, just sort of made things a little bit crazy for the, for a few weeks because, and it, it is another thing actually that Ireland are playing Scotland the first game, then Japan, and then have the two relatively easy games. Although I, I hope that we're not uh, playing this back after Ireland's like scraped by Samoa. But, you know, we've the, the two lesser games later, which is brilliant for... Ireland and the the rugby team like considering what happened last time we had to build ourselves up to play Italy then France and then we're barely able to walk as I said by the time Argentina came around the quarterfinals but it's actually bad for I think the momentum of the tournament because people are going to be like I think there's going to be a general sort of shit the World Cup's here when suddenly we're playing our biggest game on Sunday and then it kind of goes downhill for a while, loses momentum, and then like a month later, we'll be back in the quarterfinal, all going well. Yeah, like peaks and valleys, and even if there is a solution to your scenario there, it would be something like Samoa being in contention in the pool, and sure, that's not a good thing for Ireland, because then they actually have something on the line when they play Ireland, and then we have to play more players. Yeah, and could end up going and kind of battering their way through it. I do think like the start is, it's so hard to, like that. it's such an unbelievable start in a sense this weekend. Like that's why I think the, we talked last week about the the Saturday, but then it, obviously to get the Ireland game on the Sunday as well, that it's just such a, a huge high that to carry that over for the rest of the pool will be will be difficult. But mm. then come the quarterfinal, I guess yeah, that's just the nature of the tournament now. It's yeah. if they like if they wanted a solution, they could try and make it more competitive. But sure, we've been on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, we won't shy away from it. We just won't get <laughs> right into it now. Should tell you what's coming up in the show. We're going to talk to uh, Squidge Rugby, who some people will know, some people won't. Robbie Owen rugby blogger tell me a little bit more about why we're speaking to Robbie so like the we I think as a podcast have particular interest in kind of the like so uh, we're in a very weird landscape as a as a, as an outlet like as a, as a podcast in that we're not really a part of traditional media because uh, obviously we work in a purely online outlet but we're not necessarily totally distinct in the way that somebody like um, Squid Rugby is a thing so Squid Rugby is a YouTuber who started creating videos and has been kind of developed like I, I use this word kind of jokingly but not really kind of a cult following about Squid Rugby in that he's got and we'll talk about that later because 
he's got a really devoted core audience and creates really kind of if you haven't if you're unfamiliar with Squid Rugby for the, the, there mightn't be that many people who know about rugby who would be but if you are I really encourage you to go and watch his videos because it's just such a distinct style it's it's informative but incredibly entertaining There's, it's so patently obvious how much work goes into what he does and how much he actually enjoys it at the same time he has other stuff along with that he made a video about Israel Flau which is totally different to his usual montages and cuts and stuff like that and uh, and this is where it's kind of hard for us to have these kind of conversations. That's why a guy like, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. He kind of fought with Six Nations and won in terms of, uh, uh, the, a couple of videos got hit with a copyright claim and the reaction online was incredible, actually. It was like the, so, and they, Six Nations actually reached out kind of back down. He's continued to do his work, his brilliant work in terms of promoting rugby and actually growing the game. Like the, I think it's, it's accessing an audience that might necessarily like, Sometimes this content feels like it's like, you know, it's rugby content for rugby nerds, but it's actually not because of the way he does it, that it's open to way more people. It's way more entertaining. Like I know teenagers who are huge rugby fans and I also know people like my own age who are also will watch his videos. It, it, it applies to a really broad base, which is why it's so important that rugby has this kind of coverage. And I mean, he'll talk about taking an interest in the likes of um, Alex Shaw or Murray Kinsler or Charlie Morgan, who's a huge friend of this podcast. But at the same time, he does it in, a, in his own way. He actually, it's, his stuff is not, I wouldn't class it in the same bracket in terms of being purely analytical and really well-informed. He actually is, is very, very entertaining and kind of humorous and at yeah. times like it's, you know, slap beside laugh out loud comedy. And so it's a really unique prospect and a guy who is kind of at the forefront of where I think Ruby Covert is going. And so I'm really looking forward to talking about all of that really with him. Definitely, yeah. And look, I mean, I think there, it is always interesting to get the different perspectives and different sides of the media coverage as well, as you, as you touched on there. Like, we had Three Red Kings on the show last year talking, like, the, the, the Munster fan site that we, you know, everybody loves. And it's just, it's making an impact in a different way than traditional media, as you say yourself. And this is a different example, again, that I think spreads the game and gets people a lot more interested in it and gives it, you know, I remember seeing, I don't think it was Squidge, but it was another example of, um, I think Super Rugby in particular were very strong on not using their clips and these things and got people kind of taken off and various things. And, you know, I remember one example, I remember somebody on Twitter just saying like, you know, if I see a try from a clip of a game that's five seconds long and it's amazing try from by the Waratahs or whatever like that, is that going to make me more or less likely to watch a Super Rugby game? You know, you either get no coverage or people will see this try and think, oh, maybe that's a game worth watching. And I think there's a lot of kind of rugby institutions still in the dark ages and I think that's what like you know is the great thing about them winning that battle with the Six Nations there's still a long way to go I think and like I I think that's it's such a well made point because sometimes right it can actually feel like people will kind of balk when you hear like journalists complaining about other aspects of journalism like it's kind of like it's it's vested interests etc and by no means are we in any place to tell others what to do if they own whatever they want to do with their content do whatever you want to do but there is absolutely no question in terms of what people like Wizard we do as a pure advertisement for the game like like in terms of we're, we always talk about the need to grow the game and media has a huge huge role to play in that and when stuff like that is so accessible in a way that other stuff actually isn't that mm-hmm. other stuff caters to other people but his stuff is is so accessible and those like those breakdowns that makes people understand the game further and want to like you only naturally want to consume more because of that like it's a really kind of 
it's such a basic idea basic like not a media this is marketing like this is a really basic marketing idea that it, it's surprising that sometimes you feel the need to explain that so like you mentioned super rugby my only experience with a lot of super rugby growing up was through other highlights or people breaking it down for me or using it as analysis and as a consequence of that there's a whole generation coming behind me who don't have that uh, like exposure to the sport and that's that's damaging like you, you, you need to understand the really kind of simple terms like broadening your market like exposing yourself to an audience a really simple stuff that shouldn't really have to explain I think that's what Robbie demonstrated by the fact that t- you saw the like I don't think there was the, all the people who got in behind them are necessarily rugby fans but a lot of them are squid rugby fans and yeah. that necessarily will lead to them hopefully becoming like b- b- growing the sport and that's what ideally these kind of people would do we'll talk to Robbie in just a couple of minutes but I just want to kind of catch people up on what's an incredibly busy week as we lead up to the World Cup on balls.ie for rugby um, on Thursday night myself and Morris will be down in the uh, Windsor Motor Mall uh, just off the M50 uh, for an, a really class night that we're going to have a World Cup build up night with Gordon Darcy Scott Fardy James Lowe and Sene Neopow so like that is something I'm really looking forward to. It's a really, really good panel. The tickets are actually sold out. Um, so in with a good bit in advance. So we might there's a possibility that they could um there could be a few more released uh tomorrow or uh so keep an eye on balls.e for that if you want to get down to that. But we will also we'll we'll put some of that show uh up on the rugby uh channel of our podcast feed, which if you're not a subscriber to is about to get very busy. Every Tuesday myself and Morris are here with this show, World and Union. We also will have uh Brent Pope um podcast. Brent's gonna come to us uh both from studio and from Japan over the course of the World Cup. I think that's gonna be on Wednesdays and um also on Thursdays then as part of our build up podcast with Labrooks we'll be speaking to Steve. Stephen Ferris every week and also Stephen will be coming into studio with us for a um, a show that we'll be doing um, I think on Fridays before each game and that'll be on our YouTube channel as well so there's going to be a crap load of rugby on me and Morris will get you started every week anyway on Tuesday looking back on Ireland's glorious victories Morris and the first glorious victory will be against Scotland this week the 31 Warriors are out there they haven't been joined by a 32nd, despite Will Addison being uh, stripped from the Ulster team at the last minute and not brought on the, off the bench. Robbie Henshaw is staying. We don't know too much. They're not giving too much away about his hamstring tear. Um, he looks like he's not going to make Scotland. He's unlikely to make Japan. He might see him for the quarterfinals. It's good news that he's still in the squad. But then we hear that Rob Kearney has a calf injury and he's very unlikely to play next Saturday or Sunday. And then suddenly you're thinking, hmm... We've just lost two of our starting back five and all the strength and depth we talked about definitely gets tested and stretched very, very quickly. Yeah, the Rob Car- like the Rob Carney one only broke today with news of a, a calf issue that we're not like there's not a huge amount of details around, but he's definitely it looks like a doubt for the weekend. The Henshaw one is, to my mind, more concerning because um like so you got this classic stuff, oh well he also missed the twenty fifteen the opening games there because of a hamstring issue. Um, he did, but much more worryingly, and recently he missed the November internationals because of hamstring issue as well. Yeah, um, and don't and forget, was like ready to go, was warming up against Argentina when it went, and then ended up missing significant time. Came back for the England game yeah. when he had that um, that eventful experience at fullback. Um, so that that is a lot more of a 
a concern to my mind, especially given how good he looked against Wales. Like that partnership with Aki, I know we spoke about it last week, we won't go into it again, but it just looks, they look so in sync together and two players that looked like they we're going to get some semblance of stability and again, structure to Ireland play that was well needed. And the fact that he's out now is a concern. Uh, Kearney's absence is also an issue. You start looking like the, the if we were to look towards that game and look towards the team, like you're looking at Scotland who also have a lot of injury issues. So you've got somebody like Jamie Ritchie, which is actually their most serious in- injury. There's not really, you're not even sure if he'll make the tournament, but uh, Blair Kinghorn and Ben Tillis are both also injured. Um, Johnny Gray limped off with a hamstring issue. And then after that game against Georgia, um, their prop, Allendale, uh, <laughs> Allendale also uh, having an issue. So they by no means have a clean bill of health either. Yeah. Um, but then you look at the like are, are the you still have the, that kind of center. Even though it's a more concerning issue about Henshaw, you've got um, Ringrose, who's by no means like he might have even started anyway. We don't yeah, know. Ringrose so, and Aki's a proven partnership. Yeah. The, the other one, the fullback issue is interesting because the I think when we sat down to pick this squad, the one thing we said was that. We don't know has anybody got enough reps at fullback, and the player who did have enough reps at fullback is Jordan Larmer, who really struggled against Argentina in those November internationals. Funnily enough, and we're not even sure if that experiment was continued after that. But Conway is another guy who, anytime he played for Ireland, was brilliant against Italy in the Aviva, but from the wing. So the the, the question mark is there: is how do you like? I think Conway actually has demonstrated when he's played fullback for Munster has been yeah. really really promising and is terrific under a high ball his, his ability to, to compete in the air is great which makes me think that if I was if I was to make a prediction I still think Lamar might do but if I my own for what it's worth my own two cents I think that Conway is more suited to do it I actually would like Conway as well did Conway play full back when he came on I think did Carney go off injured really early in the 2017 game when Ireland beat England in the Aviva um, when we kind of when England were going for the Grand Slam the, the Peter O'Matney line out game Remember, we were talking about it last the week, Luke actually, McGrath, with Luke McGrath. Kick, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know Conway came on and played most of that game, but I, I think he played full-back. I'm not sure. Um, so I don't think it's unheard of anyway. And obviously, he has played there for Munster and is in a, a pretty good place. I suppose if Rob Carney went out and was out for a long period of time, you'd have the inevitable, why have we got one of the best full-backs in the world sitting at home on a summer holidays or whatever it is. Maybe it is pre-season in France, but that's another story for another day. Um can I read you an interesting um, Russ Petty uh, Twitter analytics guy who does some good stuff on rugby tweeted out uh, a graph of Ireland's starts in this World Cup cycle so from 2016 to 2019 right so you're talking about the player who started the most in any position and next down so it's the most of these are fairly predictable like you've got Furlong at three uh, interestingly in, in three different spots the player with the most starts isn't in this squad Sean O'Brien injury Devon Toner 28 starts in the second row mm. next down is Henderson at 16 that's just an interesting stat the other one I just found kind of interesting as well Keane Healy is 19 McGrath has 21 starts in this World Cup cycle so the, that change was kind of now we also we that saw happened come, one yeah, day though didn't yeah, it, it like it, yeah. they swapped almost yeah exactly for both club and country and in most of these scenarios, the next down actually is you're doing okay. So like say at 12, you've got Aki 19, Henshaw 12 starts. Next down then is Marshall with four, Ringrose and Farrell at one for 12. Yeah, which is kind of incredible. 13, Ringrose 20, Henshaw 8, Payne 7. Um, 11, 14, Earls 31, Stockdale 21, 
Trimble 1107. The point I'm making is that the perceived depth in this Irish squad, I think, is being over-egged. Yeah. I don't know if it's actually as clear. And nowhere is that more apparent than fullback. Yeah, starts, Rob yeah. Kearney, 24 starts. Second, who do you think is the second? Jared Payne. This is an unfair question. It's Simon Zebo. Simon Zebo yeah, w- yeah, with, yeah. with four starts, 20 less than mm. Kearney. The only player with more than two who's in the current squad is Jordan Lammer. Mm. Jordan Lammer started four times at fullback. Next then is Tiernan O'Halloran, Jared Payne, Will Addison, Conway with two, Henshaw with one. So the perceived depth isn't as much. So this is an issue. Like it, you can't get away from the fact that Jordan Lammer is going in, if he's going to be the fullback, he's going in at four starts in the position for Ireland. If it's Conway, he's two starts yeah. at fullback um, for Ireland. It, 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 it makes like, you realise as well though how long a bloody World Cup cycle is doesn't it like there's names there that you've kind of you don't think of as anywhere near this team like Andrew Trimble was probably playing his best ever rugby within this World Cup cycle but he's also kind of gone and retired ages yeah. now <laughs> you know it seems uh, but God like the the one thing I'd say about Larmer is though Larmer sees himself as a fullback that's his first position. That's the position he came through as Lancer. He was the he was the international break cover for Rob Carney. Carney's obviously had a good few injuries over the last few years. That's where Jordan Larmer sees himself as a rugby player. Like maybe Joe doesn't, whatever. But this is a guy who's very ambitious and wants to be the best player he can be. And I think he'll relish it in a way as well. You know, he'll think that that's he can absolutely be Ireland's fullback for years to come. And we kind of do need to develop that. I'll give you one other little problem here, though, in terms of Larmer slotting in to 15 and why I think it's, like, you know, if it's Conway. Keith Earls isn't fit and hasn't trained yet since So you've got to, like, it's not even just a case of us losing. Realistically, you know, you think Henshaw is going to be involved one way or another, whether it's, like as 12 or 13 or wherever, you know, you kind of think Henshaw has a place in that team and Carney and Earl certainly do as well and they're the three most experienced of that back five, etc, etc. And then you're down to the only starting players from the, you know, you're down to just Stockdale, especially in that back three then without Carney and Earls especially. So there's just a little bit of kind of worry there about that experience and the, the depth of the squad as you say yourself, you know. And especially, like, the only thing I, other thing I would say is that like there's, I don't mean to, I'm just talking about the exposure he has, like I don't mean to undermine the credentials of Lammer as, as a player. Like the, uh, I just r- recall the the break, the, the counter-attack when he broke Munster's hearts, that counter-attack in Thorne Park, that was, he caught a kick at 15 and ran the ball back there. That's sort of, like he has stuff like that in his locker and if we're going to go up against a Scotland team who like to put boot the ball quite often, who are going to kind of throw the ball around the place, I think that in that kind of unbroken chaos, there's actually probably a place for Lamar and maybe that moves us on to the team. The that, team is. Yeah, and I think like a lot of this team picks itself. Like I think if you're looking at the front five, Furlong, Best, Healy, Henderson, Ryan, I don't know if you're going to get any uh, awards for predicting that um, that the back row is slightly more interesting the back mm-hmm. row this goes back to our old friend here Mick um, the back row you would pick and the one that you think might start the, <laughs> uh, I think Josh Flyer at 7 should start uh, I, th- I thought he had an absolute stormer in that final game against Wales he's really supposed to be actually demonstrated but in that game as well by the way his ability to attack He the, when he took that gap and threw the offload um, he's re- he's a good ball carrier, but he yeah. just gets you so much work. When he gets himself involved in the game, he tends to kind of do the first up job, and that's like he's a role player and takes that role seriously, you know. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But he definitely can 
whenever he needs to get involved more in kind of open play as well. But if, like, I think uh, um, Ireland will likely try and starve Scotland of possession and, uh, you know, build up through phases and be very clinical and controlled. So in a scenario like that, I, there's definitely scope to see Stander go back to six, Peter Matney at seven and Jack Onan at eight. I think Jack Onan had two chances in the warm-up games. I don't know how much stock you put into that. Um, I wouldn't have said he'd be hugely impressed in either of those games. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, there is definitely scope to see to see that. Personally, I think that uh, Josh Renfrow is the best traditional seven that Ireland have and you should just trust them to do that role I agree with you and I think that's exactly what will happen it's funny you're saying what's the team we like to start what's the team we should start I think very strangely having spent nearly the entire preseason, the main discussion other than the centre partnership was what's the back row going to be and so much so that like you were saying last week that other than O'Matney starting and we don't know whether that'll be at six or seven we don't nobody secured their place however I think ultimately weirdly it's going to come down to the same six seven eight that we thought it was going to be two or three months ago or whenever the Sean O'Brien and, and Dan Levy were ruled out of O'Matney Sander and and Levy you know I agree with you that Conan probably hasn't I would have, I thought Conan had pushed himself back into the team so did now. I yeah but, but uh, I think Sander's performance the last day albeit at six I think showed that he still has that in the tank and I think he'll be he has the jersey anyway so I think he'll he'll keep it for week one anyway um, 9 and 10 Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton barring any injuries that just picks itself your centres with this news about Robbie Henshaw, Bundyaki and Guy Ringrose are looking into their partnership there, um, which actually was a pretty decent partnership as well two years ago. Uh, let's not forget when in Henshaw's absence. Um, your back three, this is where you've got the most kind of question marks. Um, so Jacob Scockdale is definitely going to start. If Keith Harris isn't fit, which we're not really sure about, um, as you can imagine, Ireland have been pretty uh, close shop with terms of information coming out here. So... There is if he's fit he starts. I mean, I think in terms of what he brings, there's no question there. But if he's not fit, you've got two spots with this news about Rob Carney as well, which could that's where I think you'd see Conway and Lammer both come in. Um, I I still think I as I said I think Conway fifteen uh, at fullback is the option I go. I don't think that's what we'll see. I think Jordan Lammer will go to fullback and Conway will go on on the wing in that scenario. The only other one I'd love to see at some point if he's fit, Joey Carberry. I'd love to just. Maybe it's for 10 minutes, maybe if he's covering it, but Joy Carby at fullback, I, I've said this a lot, and um, yeah. just in terms of the way this tournament is going, and if you want to have a second kicking option, and a guy like Rob Carney who can kick can kick quite well, um, Joy Carby could absolutely bring that. He's a guy who can stand in as second receiver. I was going to say, yeah, the way that Carney was doing in the first England game that everyone was getting excited about, like, you know. Carberry's your man for that, really, and he can, and he can um, extend the receiver, and he can carry to the line, which is something that's pretty important. There is that the only question marks are going to be on the other side of the ball, but I, I, his match fitness as well would be is, a worry. Is, yeah. yeah, like he's played however many minutes that was against Italy and been injured ever since. He's apparently training well. He looks good. He's running off the top of the ground, as they say, <laughs> uh, from what I heard uh, from the train, the open training sessions anyway in Japan. Um, so, what about the bench then? Like, uh, there is a worry in a way that we're you know, and it's down to injuries for the most part, but that we're so sure of the team. You know, that, that it's like the first game of the World Cup. You'd almost want to have a few more questions just for that strength and depth that we talked about earlier. But, like, the bench is an interesting one. I think, you know, I think Kilcoyne, uh, Cronin and Porter will be so nailed such on. Such an explosive front row that we bring on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and, you know, but I think who's the second row replacement? Who's the back row replacement? We obviously know Luke McGrath is going to be on the bench. Carberry, if he's fit, is going to be there. And then who's number 23? 
I so I I Ty Burn I think from what he the when he, when he came on and he that uh, was the Italy game the two Jackals he came on straight away and just had such a huge impact come on came on actually at six at the time but the fact that he didn't cover the second Rosell I think he'll be picked I think a guy like Rise Rolock hit similar in a similar vein his versatility across the back row and in as a lock as well will probably have him in good stead you've got no question marks over your scrum app because they don't have anybody else yeah. so yeah, I wouldn't be one bit surprised by the way to see. Um, if Carty plays back up to 10, Carberry's still on the bench and cover fullback. I just right. I'll put, I'll put that out there that I think that is a, there's a pot- potential that you'd see two fullbacks, two yeah. out half Sarri uh, on the bench. But it's way more likely that if Carberry's fit, Carberry will be um, on the bench and you won't see Jack Carty. And you see, like, again, this is going back to if Conway is in, a, he's a perfect number 23 to my mm. mind. But you might have to start. Which yeah, which, if Earls is out, Carney's out, and Henshaw's out, you've run out of players. Like it's Chris Farrell's going to be playing at twenty three, and then he doesn't offer that first build, and you're going back to kind of having to put ring rows possibly on, on the, the wing. Win. Yeah, you know, which you talked a little bit about last week. If you're going into it, because there just isn't enough players in a thirty one man squad. There's only some. There's a reason that it's a small squad, and that if someone's out for the tournament, you have to call her up, up a replacement. You know. Um, Anyway, I think that's interesting. I think I like. I think ultimately, what we're saying then is, Larmer Earl Stockdale with Conway is twenty three. Yeah, the, it, yeah. In a, a scenario that they're we're everyone's pretty healthy. Yeah. Good news about Keith Earls yeah, yeah. then coming for the, over the next few days. That's great. We uh, we hope that team will do the job. And as I said, then if Ireland can win this week, it doesn't need to be by any score. It doesn't need to be by anything else. They have the chance then to grow into the tournament. They're almost certainly qualified. If they beat Japan, then they'll already know who they'll be playing in the in the quarterfinal because New Zealand, South Africa play. We'll actually know before we play Scotland, really. You know? like in a, if, if South Africa beat New Zealand, I think do Ireland that. throw the game against... Uh, Scotland. Um, I'm working on a, a long-term theory that um, we, they might be better off to play New Zealand <laughs> than South Africa, but we'll talk about that down the line. <laughs> okay, well, we've lots more to talk about, but up next, we're going to talk to Robbie Owen of Squidge Rugby. All right, I'm absolutely delighted to say we're joined now by Robbie Owen of Squidge Rugby, the YouTube channel. Robbie, how's the form? Hi, all right, yeah, how are you? Good, thank you. You're speaking to us from the, the Lounge of Hotel in Japan, I believe. I am, yeah. I'm out in the Tokyo, as I believe it's called. Uh, <laughs> I've been here for about a week and a half now, uh, so I'm slowly acclimatizing. I'm slowly close to getting over the jet lag, so yeah. We've spoken on this podcast about your channel before, actually, but just for those who, who, who don't oh, know, you. You, you've got nearly uh, over 9,000 followers last time I checked on, on, on YouTube, making um, yeah. a distinctly unique style of videos. How did you come to this stage of your career? Um, so I, I think I sort of always wondered why no one was doing it already. Uh, I'd had this sort of thought in the back of my head for quite a long time. Um, and I wrote a bit for Blood and Mud, uh, sort of a, a rival podcast. I don't mean to mention them, um, but I'd written a bit for their website, um, and that gone well. People had liked what I'd done, so I thought maybe there is a sort of gap in the market, um, and I've been doing a sort of other comedy projects that weren't rugby-related, and I sort of thought, well, this rugby writing thing I'm doing is going well, uh, and when the other projects fell apart, I thought, well, I'll just throw everything into trying this. You know, I made those that first Ospreys video I did, uh, and I had the Scotland one in the back of my head. And it was sort of a see how these go. And they went down well. People liked them. And so I've kept going. And it spun completely out of control in directions I didn't expect. And to a degree, I didn't expect either. 
It's funny, like we look at the change in rugby coverage quite often, um, particularly on this show. And mm. like, I think what your channel is a, is a testament to is kind of like with the dawn of professionalism, that it was only natural that coverage would kind of rapidly accelerate from there as well. And you've seen a huge demand, particularly yeah. amongst uh, the, the typical rugby fan for, they, they particularly crave kind of that in-depth kind of knowledgeable stuff while also combining it with your, your yeah. kind of uniquely entertainment value. But there certainly is a, a real demand for that kind of, I suppose, an increasing demand, I suppose, for that kind of rugby coverage. Oh, definitely. And I was someone that wanted to consume that beforehand. You know, I, I loved reading the, the, the Temple teens, the Murray Kinsellers of the world, the Alex Shaws, who wrote these really detailed pieces. And I loved seeing that. And whenever you now and again, someone pop up on TV, I got really excited. Um, and so that's sort of how I came to it, is just being someone that enjoyed that level of really, really in-depth coverage of rugby because it is so complicated and there is so much going on even though you can follow it on face value which is the great thing is probably I love about it as a sport I'm going to ask you about rugby itself kind of later on and particularly I suppose uh, I know you've done a video already on Ireland so we might chat about that um, in a couple of seconds but just to, to dwell yeah. on the on the channel cool. like from a purely I'm, t- I'm talking purely from a preparation level here how long does it take you to make these videos oh <laughs> so long um, so I tend to write a script, which takes me a while. Um, I depends on, you know, if I'm doing, for example, I've done videos on Russia or Uruguay or wherever, I've had to go away and do quite a lot of research. I've had to read up on the history of rugby in Russia or wherever. And I've gone and watched games they've played. So for example, I watched like eight of Russia's games from the last year that I haven't seen. Um, so that takes time. And then when it actually gets into the editing, once I've got a script written and records and everything, it then, it used to take me about, um, an hour and a half for each minute on screen. I've managed to get far quicker than that. So it's now down to probably just below an hour for each minute um, you see on screen. So it's quite time-consuming. Well, uh, and I suppose what that has kind of fostered, I think that commitment is is, is obviously registers with, with your fans. Like I'm, I'm thinking of even... I know when you talk to social media about the copyright strikes that were struck against some of your videos with in yeah. relation to your issue with the with Six Nations, what what struck me particularly in that circumstance was the reaction of other fans and kind of their recognition of what you yeah. what you do for the game. And uh, I imagine that must have been kind of comforting for you at the time. Oh no, it was absolutely amazing that it went from you know I struggled to sleep the night before I put those tweets up because I felt like I'm going to be essentially unemployed in a matter of hours potentially. Um, I've got no way out. They hold all the cards, etc. And actually, just from the moment the tweets went up, the amount of support I had from people, and just the amount of people saying that they really appreciated what I'd done and taking the time to tweet the nations, but also send emails and so on, uh, really, really meant a lot. And even if the decision hadn't been overturned, even if it hadn't put the you know requisite pressure for them to really come in straight away and consider it and be entirely fair with me, um, it would have been lovely to see just that what I did has affected that many people and that many people really responded to it. Uh, it was it was really moving. It was a really moving way to spend a Saturday morning. Can I ask you on that on that team for a second? Like I'm it's kind of mm. as, as somebody who's kind of not, not I mean, obviously we're involved in digital media and but it is still closely aligned to traditional yeah. media and it, sometimes it feels a bit contrite to hear media talking about copyright infringements or whatever involved in that. But from your own perspective, I think yeah. somebody who's distinctly like, unique in what you do there's obviously like we we see mm. circumstances, for example, where Super Rugby now have got very stringent with their policing of of, of footage yeah. online. Like the the ability to kind of recognise whatever about those kind of whatever negatives they perceive, the ability to recognise kind of the positives that comes with you promoting 
for example that you just mm. mentioned your Uruguay video like do you see any sort of growing recognition of the, what your work does in those circumstances I think that's the thing that the Six Nations came to recognise from the volume of tweets they received and from then going on to I think they looked far more closely at what I'd done uh, from the initial sort of email I got from them uh, which was telling me basically take the video down inside 24 hours otherwise we will you know take action um, and then actually within a couple of days they'd come to go actually what you're doing is different and it's not just ripping off the match footage they initially put it um, so yeah no, the, um, fair play to them for that and for recognising that because you say Super Rugby you haven't done that haven't been so understanding and I know a lot of other rights holders in other sports wouldn't be um, and I think it's something great about rugby as a sport that it is there's a big enough community there but it's small enough that every voice is heard and you can get across to everyone which is really encouraging and which actually what I was, leads me to sound perfectly to something else that I wanted to talk to you about which was your your Israel Flow video and mm-hmm. I think like that was one of those videos which I'm sure happens to you quite often which seemed to pregnant outside of kind of the, the squid rugby bubble which the, you know the, your traditional fans and was viewed by kind of rugby and sports fans in, in general kind of everywhere and I imagine that with that comes uh, as well as the, the positivity that you mentioned is obviously I mean a huge amount of negative backlash to, to something like that yeah no definitely and like, I got invited on the Australian news to talk about it for <laughs> 60 seconds and so on um, which was a that was a bizarre like afternoon uh, sitting there waiting to be on the Australian news for 40 seconds um, but yeah it's uh, it was something I thought was very important and I thought it was important that it said by Somewhat, you know, I felt like I've, I've built some sort of platform within rugby and it was important I use that to express that Israel allows you is not representative. Um, and I felt it's important that people who aren't Gareth Thomas and Nigel Owens uh, come out and say things like that and that it came from a voice who, you know, didn't have a, a, a necessary stake in it. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm proud of what happened. I'm proud of the response to it. There was, as you say, some vitriol in response and from just it getting wider. Um, it's the one video where I haven't read all the comments. Uh, but yeah, as I say, it opened up to a whole other audience that I wasn't... I, I could have anticipated. Um, but yes, it still went beyond what I was expecting. Uh, and just for the, the listeners' sake here, as well, I would absolutely encourage you to, to go and watch that video if you, if you haven't already. We talked a small bit about uh, Rugby Robbie. Um, because I know you're you're in Japan. Hmm. This it's it's been a weird build up in Ireland in that it's a hu- whole lot more muted now than it might have even been twelve months ago. Um, hmm. There the, the certainly isn't the same degree oh. of hype about this 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 Irish team. You've done a video on on this Irish team and you actually discussed some of the the failings yeah. in the Six Nations and maybe the idea that there might be some workings going on outside of that. When you look at it now, how how would you judge their their prospects heading into this tournament? I think Ireland are actually the hardest team to pin down how good they are in the entire tournament, which I think is probably what Joe Schmidt wants. They're quite hard to read uh, in a way that a year ago, you knew exactly what Ireland were going to do. You knew how they were going to play. And it was just a matter of trying to stop it. And then eventually, Gatlin and Eddie Jones worked out how to stop it. Um, and the really interesting thing, as I point out in that video about um, Ireland and the Six Nations, is that when Jones came in and presented the same plan that nullified Ireland and, you know, they won comprehensively in the I'm, I'm sure you remember. Um, they they didn't change anything uh, and then Gatson basically did largely the same thing or similar things again 
And Connor showed the same things with Italy. And even though they didn't win, they pushed Ireland more than you'd expect. Um, and I think there has been some signs over the warm-ups that actually they have changed a bit in how they've used the ball uh, while still sticking fundamentally to the same blueprints. Uh, so, yeah, I think Ireland could be very good or they could revert back to type. Um, I don't entirely know. I think, i say, they're the hardest team to pin down. But if I were Irish, I'd be quietly confident, especially looking at the looking at the group anyway. When you get to New, New Zealand and South Africa in the quarters, slightly less so, just because they're both so good. But yeah, uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they do and how they play against Scotland. You mentioned the. I, I find it interesting the idea of the the Irish blueprint because we talked last week mm. on on this podcast actually about the the changing trends within the rugby. So like, from, I remember after twenty fifteen World yeah. Cup, there was a huge amount of emphasis put on this idea that every team needed to score three tries. That we would see a lot more attacking rugby, and that that's what would be the answer yeah. to the the Southern Hemisphere. Now, in in reality, it probably hasn't been that at all. Actually, there's been you've seen the kind of mm. revolutions in in defensive lines and fourteen men and you know, crashing up. You know this. England, I think, actually that that day they better than the Six Nations were, were epitomised that the, the this kind of breakneck yeah. defensive ability. And the, where I'm leading with this is that there is clearly space elsewhere if you've got 14 men in a defensive line. And the trend that I certainly yeah. think that we might see, and I know you've hinted at videos as well, is that the way teams might kick or with second receivers or somebody like Barrett at fullback, you might see a huge amount more boot to ball in this tournament. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think this could be something that's very interesting, especially with, I saw the news about Rob Carney today, that he might be out of that first game. Yeah, with and a calf injury. you have someone as good, yeah, it, you need, basically, if you're playing that that defence, you need someone as good at covering space as Carney, as Liam Williams, as Halfpenny, as Ben Smith. And there aren't that many fullbacks who can do it. Um, and so it then becomes incredibly risky if you're playing almost literally anyone else. Uh, because you're suddenly opening yourself up to, as you say, space in behind and so much of it and playing a sort of 13 and a half man defensive line that leaves an awful lot of space to be covered by one man and it needs that man to know exactly what he's doing. Um, and it's incredibly effective. And as you say, it's shut down so many attacks. It's meant we've moved from this thing of expecting every team to score three or four tries to now one or two is a good return. Um, and that's come from this this, this system being in place largely um, and you know, adaptations and variations on it uh, but yeah it's going to be interesting as you say with like Bowden Barrett and if teams do start picking more couch-tackle fullbacks whether this changes things and whether teams have more innovations to counter it than they've been holding back for the World Cup so um, in a wider sense, Robbie, what are you hoping to get or what hope mm. to see in, in this tournament? Like, I think we all have concerns about maybe, I know you did your video on Japan and how wonderful it was to see them shock mm. the world basically in 2015. But there's, there's a lot of concerns about maybe yeah. the gap between Minnows and, and the, the, the stronger nations heading into this tournament. Like, what would your own hopes to see, whether it be to see that gap narrowing or have you, have you any expectations going into this tournament? Um, I, I think the thing that's happened in the last maybe five or six years is that the gap has basically closed up in attack and it's become almost entirely defensive. Okay. Uh, so when you look at the handful of uh, changes, oh no, sorry, of bigger upsets, they're things like Fiji last year against France actually defended really well. And we haven't seen that from Fiji either side of that in this World Cup campaign. We know they've had one game where they did defend well, so we know the capable of it. 
Um, and all of the handful of just anomalies are either that or their team games where the, the bigger nation didn't defend well and they, you know, kind of capitulated in places. Like if you look at, um, South Africa in that, that, that big game against Japan, there were a few moments in which they kind of, there were tries they could have stopped and should have stopped and didn't, or there were, you know, simple discipline moments where they gave away penalties that they perhaps shouldn't have. Um, and I do think the biggest gap is defensive. And if these teams can start to close that down, uh, that's going to be the difference. And Japan, I think, who are the best shot at an upset in this World Cup. I, I say that as a Wales fan who's got Fiji in their group. And I know how risky that is. Um, but they did manage to keep Fiji to one try when they played them last month. So there's some signs there. But then it didn't look the same way against South Africa when a team put pressure on them rather than just chucking the ball about. Um, so I feel like that defense may not be good. Uh, Japan's defense may be good enough to stop the Scotland side, but less the Ireland who are more pressure based. I feel like I've answered about four questions there rather than just the one you asked. <laughs> so, so if we're going to see a shock in, in Ireland's pool, you feel like it might be Japan and Scotland and not uh, the host versus, versus ourselves? I think so, yeah. That's I encouraging think, anyway. <laughs> I think yeah, I also think the way that Ireland like to keep hold of the ball is probably the best way to counter how Japan attack. Um, so I do think I can't see partly stylistically and partly just because Ireland are a good enough team and have a mentality that can beat the All Blacks and beat literally every team in the world over the last four years. I can't see them losing a game like that, knowing is a big risk. You know, I can see them perhaps conceding more tries than you expect against Russia, but I can't see them losing one of those pool games unless it is Scotland who pulls it out against them but even then I I see Ireland winning the group personally Finally I suppose um, on that I know you've been asked this question a couple of times this week but if I was to press you for, for a winner who would you go for right now? Well I believe that rugby is going to be the true winner <laughs> uh, <laughs> It might beat friendship narrowly in the final uh, <laughs> I I I, I've had a funny feeling about South Africa pretty much since they beat the All Blacks last year. Um, and that funny feeling hasn't gone away. Uh, there's a part of me that always wants, there's a part of me that still thinks this is where it was the best ever shot at a World Cup, even though I don't know if I can net. Yeah. Um, I, and then, you know, every reality here is involving the All Blacks losing a game, which I don't know if they'll do. I think this is the most vulnerable All Blacks team of the last eight years certainly since that 2011 final um, but it's, uh, it's, it's it's a really interesting one I think that's why this World Cup is so interesting because it's not easy to call a winner it's not like last time when you were saying well there's an 80% chance the All Blacks will win it but the other 20% interesting here I feel like it's genuinely very open Robbie Owen there from Squidge Rugby, who's uh, someone you should definitely be checking out over the course of the World Cup. It'll be an interesting way to uh, to follow some of the oh, well, follow some of the storylines, I suppose, over the course of the tournament. It was nice to hear somebody else uh, back up my belief that this is going to be a boot to ball tournament as well. That the the way it's going, not just my belief. That's been <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you've been banging on about it for a couple of weeks. Now. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not that I don't believe you, Morris. I just don't want to believe you. Oh, you know, I'm uh, yeah, and I'm the like I feel the same way. <laughs> uh, 
Um, we've just got a couple more things uh, to get to before we go and you know go bask in the the the, the build up to the uh, the World Cup. I'm for some reason struggling to say that, but again, we are only a couple of days away. Uh, Japan and Russia is possibly the not the greatest way to start on Friday night, but it'll be interesting to see kind of what the the locals are making of things anyway. And then obviously that first Saturday, in case you missed us talking about it last week, which is just this insane start to a tournament, which is at I think half five in the morning, Australia versus Fiji, followed by at quarter past eight, France versus Argentina, followed by. New Zealand, South Africa, just a Honestly, small matter of that. And that's before Ireland come into the fray on, on Sunday. So what an amazing first weekend to look forward to. It's not just the Ireland match by any means. Um, you've been talking to me about uh, Felix Jones and the impact he's been making already in South Africa. Yeah, it's a, like it's a, it's a weird subplot to all of this. That the, This all started after uh, Felix Jones, there was a report a couple of months ago that uh, South Africa approached him to be their new attack coach under Razi Erasmus and that he turned it down. He was at Munster at the time. He left Munster and quickly after a vacancy appeared at South Africa. So it didn't take a genius to work out. That's where he inevitably ended up going. He's gone. It's initially, I think, on a consultancy basis is what it's down to. But the, uh, the first real interesting thing of it that I saw anyway was Joe Schmidt's reaction. I thought it was just quite telling that he... Uh, voiced some concerns that maybe Felix Jones had obviously spent quite a bit of time with the Ireland camp and with Irish players uh, subsequent to that and that what he would know for this quarterfinal that we all see coming down the tracks against South Africa I thought it was equally interesting I was just reading the Irish Examiner this morning and they were talking about the South African press conference and the praise actually interesting praise that a lot of them had with South Africa so you've got quotes like this is one of the, the other quotes, uh, Mazili Stick, who says, one thing he's brought to our side is that he understands the European sides very well. He also has a good relationship with some of the coaches in New Zealand. So that is some information that we managed to get out of him. I have to be honest and say he's a very good guy and nice to work with. He's passionate about attack and there's a lot of contributing to our side, most recently with his attack and his philosophy behind the attack. Again, I just thought that was uh, like an interesting comment. Um, I think the... Like, coaches in this facet I don't know how actually you won't see any sort of like Felix Jones stamp on this South Africa team they won't change up anything massively that they have been doing but there are other aspects that like the new percentage that uh, bringing in a coach like him could have you look at a guy like the difference Mitchell made to England like mm. I don't think their defensive setup changed all that more but it became as Ian Costello actually spelled out to us it became a whole lot more intense and a whole lot more accurate after that like it was it was refined without necessarily being revolutionised and I, I think it's just an interesting subplot that it, people won't really care about it now and then suddenly before a, a World Cup quarterfinal everyone's like why does South Africa have an Irish coach how do we let this happen and become a way bigger deal but uh, I just think those comments are interesting yeah absolutely right we won't talk to you again on this show until the World Cup has started and we'll have seen nearly all the teams all the serious teams anyway what team are you most looking forward to watching um, funnily Japan okay um, yeah so like the, the uh, most as uh, Scrooge actually spelled out there the uh, what they've done over the last kind of 24 months I've just been fascinated by so you've got getting people like Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown involved I think was a really good idea um, they basically t- went into the Sunwolves and got a load of their guys back Japanese test players back into the, the, the Sunwolves we've seen in this country the benefit of having players based in that country and having full control over them by the national coaches um, the fact that they've done that so far out is, is quite interesting the, um, I think the 
the shock they gave in 2015 adds a bit of a lure that we mightn't have otherwise mm. seen Brent Pope on the, um, in, in here a couple of months ago during the Six Nations actually told us that he's quite close to, to Mr. Brown and that he had told him like explicitly that they're going to target one big shock win they need to get to a quarterfinal of the home nation you've seen the buzz 15,000 people um turned up to watch Wales train so like it, was cla- it was really class scenes like the locals coming up and singing the Welsh National Anthem and it was just it, it, it was it was good to see that they kind of embrace the sport while it's there anyway and I think that that is obviously pressure on the host nation and so from from the expectation and how they've tried to match it and the fact that they might put off a one shock um, Robbie thinks it'll be more likely to be the Scotland game I'd definitely be inclined to agree with him if Japan are to, to pull off a shock but in terms of that uh, Japan and then in terms of a, just a sheer awesome team I think I'd be very interested to see not necessarily in terms of um, how I feel about it but how England actually turn up at this tournament I think that could be uh, that could be like judging by the trend line they could come into this in some incredible shape and yeah. that's going to be really telling. You took the words out of my mouth. I, was, I have to say, I thought I was pretty on safe ground there saying that I was most looking forward to watching England. <laughs> <laughs> and you jumped in before me. Again, it's taking all kind of like, look, let's face it, it's not it's not exactly like hyper-nationalist to say that nobody wants England to win. It's the most normal thing in the world. But at the same time, they're fascinating rugby team Colossal at the moment team, yeah. and they're so, so good. And I'm just interested to see whether they look like they kick, kick, kicked on again, uh, you know, this summer, but you can't really take anything from warm-up games. Yeah. So I'm just fascinated to see whether that was real or not and to watch them a little bit because the, you know, the amount of ball winners they have on the ground and you've got, like I told you, who's playing more like a, back row every single time every single time you see him while also improving in all the second row aspects of the game etc 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 i think everybody knows that england are a team to watch this year um so the next time we speak to you ireland will have beaten scotland we'll be on the way to japan don't worry about that Mark. like don't worry about gregor townsend putting things up on the dressing room wall our boys can handle that i don't mind putting undue pressure on them that's fine you know they're well able for it uh no but next time we speak to you we will be well into the world cup but don't forget again there is lots more coming up on balls over the next kind of few days really um tomorrow we'll have our first um brent pope show uh as we um talk to him all the way through the rugby world cup he'll be in studio he's going to be in japan for some of the shows as well we'll have Stephen ferris on the build-up podcast with ladbrooks you can get that on thursday um, we'll also have Stephen in studio with us on Friday um, to do a piece that will be on YouTube. Everything else you can get on the Balls.ie podcast feed. And if you're only interested in rugby and don't want to listen to our brilliant GEA uh, show, the last three-man weave of the year, where we t- talked about Dublin's five in a row and Dublin's three in a row, or the Balls.ie football show, which also went up yesterday. If you don't want any of that stuff, you're mad. You're mad. But if you you know if you don't, we're also just on a rugby-only feed where you can get just just a insane amount of rugby we have um up at the moment where you can listen to the to it all there so if you enjoyed this show please give us an l rating or you know five stars leave a comment whatever it is that that people do these days we would very much appreciate it and myself and morris will be back with you on tuesday take it easy